Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And I'm Maddie Cassidy. And today we are sitting down with Paul Landsbergen, who is the president of the Fisheries Council of Canada, and we are talking about Canada. We decided it was time to do another country spotlight, and we have our Responsible Seafood Summit coming up this October in Canada, so we decided why not take a look at the Canadian seafood industry as a whole from the perspective of the Fisheries Council of Canada. So Paul came on and we had just a fantastic conversation about all things Canadian seafood, what species are being uh, produced there. Production methods, the industry, the marketplace, species that they yeah. produce, how Canada, all kinds of stuff. How Canada fits into the global seafood marketplace, which is just Canada's huge. So, you know, they play a pretty big role. So it was a really interesting conversation and I know you're going to enjoy it. But before we get into that, Maddie has a quick announcement. Yes. So I feel so much more educated about Canada after having done this interview with Paul. And that's perfect timing because our team is heading to Canada, like Sean mentioned, in October of 2023. So our annual conference, which used to be called Goal and is now called the Responsible Seafood Summit, is held in a different country every year. And this year, the country is Canada and it will be held in St. John, New Brunswick. The dates of the conference are October 2nd through 5th, so the first week of October. And registration's open right now if you're interested. We cover everything from challenges that the industry is facing, new innovations that are coming up, and what we can do collaboratively as an industry to help advance the seafood industry as a whole. And the people that are attend are everyone from buyers to producers, researchers, academics, the whole gamut of the seafood industry. Former so, Aquademia guests. Lots of former Aquademia guests will be there. And actually plug for us, we will be recording live on site at the summit. Live so in front of a studio audience. If you want to come watch us record, you can do that at the summit. So registration's open now. The regular registration price ends on September 9th. So if you're listening to this before then, highly recommend you grab your tickets now because prices are about to go up on September 9th. That's right. Remember to subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen. So that way, every time a new episode comes out, it'll be automatically downloaded to your device. Follow us on Twitter at AquademiaPod. If you want to contact us for any reason, sponsorship, topic ideas, you want to be a guest or you know someone who would be a great guest, you can fill out our online form located at globalseafood.org slash podcast. And if you like what you're listening to, then it would mean the world to us if you left a rating or review on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on. That's right. So enjoy this conversation that we had with Paul and we will talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. All right, so we're sitting down today with Paul Landsbergen. Is that, did I say that correctly? Landsbergen? Yes. Yep, very good. Right. Uh, and Paul is the president of the Fisheries Council of Canada. How's it going, Paul? Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you very much. It's going good. So we thought that it was about time to do another country spotlight. It's been a while yeah, since Matt, we've yeah, done think, one. I think you're the one that brought it up, Maddie, that we, we should be doing a country spotlight. And we all collectively decided that with our uh, Responsible Seafood Summit coming up in the fall, which is happening in Canada, we figured Canada is the perfect country to do our next country spotlight. And uh, right around 
the time we were discussing this, we got an email from the Fisheries Council of Canada. Can I just shorten it to FCC from now on? Will we understand if I, I call it FCC? Yes, yes, certainly. So we, we got an email from FCC who and they were interested in coming on the show. And so we were like, this is perfect. So we have Paul on here to talk about the seafood industry in Canada and kind of how the Canadian industry fits in the global industry. But before we get into all of that, I want to learn about you, Paul. Like we always try to have our guests give a little history and a little backstory on themselves so we know who we're listening to. So can you kind of give us your story of who you are and how you got to what you do now? Sure. My pleasure. Uh, so I've got 27 years or so experience in public policy, advocacy, and association leadership. And I've worked for three different industries, uh, fertilizer, then forest products, and now fisheries. So I seem to like sectors that begin with the letter F. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as part of, you know, in, in concert with the role I, I have at FCC, I'm also a vice chair of our International Coalition of Fisheries Associations. So that's the national trade associations for in the major fishing jurisdictions around the world, ICFA for short. Uh, represents about 85% of global landings. And uh, as well, I'm on the advisory committee of the Canadian Integrated Ocean Observation System, or CEOS uh, for short. And uh, so those are just some other things that I like to do in my spare time, I guess. Uh, and then I'm also a municipal councillor in my small community of Boileau, Quebec. And... Uh, and then in my spare time, when I'm when I'm not doing those things, I like to uh, be outdoors or um, build things with wood. I'm a bit of a handyman. Mm. That is one thing I can claim I am not. <laughs> <laughs> I like to, I like to dabble in that. I'm, I'm sure yes. I'm nowhere near Paul's uh, status, but uh, so that's great. Yeah. So we we mentioned today that you are coming from a fisheries perspective, and it's not a perspective that we are always able to get on this show because. Uh, our history is so kind of intertwined with the aquaculture side of things. So I'm really excited to look at this country-specific industry from the fisheries point of view because we haven't always had that opportunity. I think with Russia, that was kind of the case, right? We, mm -hmm. we were looking at Russia from a, from a fisheries point of view. Yep. Um, so this is this is pretty cool. So talk to us first about the FCC and, and what you all do to help support the industry in Canada. Sure. Uh, so the Fisheries Council of Canada, uh, we are the national trade association representing the wild capture fisheries across Canada. Uh, so as I mentioned in our interlude, um, we don't represent the aquaculture side. Uh, there's another national association for that, the Canadian Aquaculture Industry Alliance. Um, but I'll speak more to any collaborations we have with them in a little bit. The Our council, uh, we have members uh, across the country on all three coasts, Atlantic, Pacific, and the Eastern Arctic. Most of the industry is in Atlantic Canada, and so that's where the bulk of our membership is lies, but we have, you know, a growing uh, amount of membership in the Eastern Arctic and, and uh, as well in BC. And so our, our mandate, I should mention that, our mandate is to advocate on behalf of our members and the sector, primarily to the federal government, on all the issues, policy issues relating to uh, the sector, whether it be fisheries management, environment, trade, food safety, labor, uh, anything that you can think of really. Uh, depending on how much time we have and our resources. And as well as the National Voice, uh, we also do public communications to promote and defend the industry on public trust issues. Very cool. 
Okay, so let's take a look at Canada. Canada is a very large country, <laughs> and there is a lot of seafood that comes out of Canada. You say it in your website, which your website, by the way, is... FisheriesCouncil.ca. FisheriesCouncil.ca. There we go. I was almost there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, it has to come off the tip of my tongue. Yeah. <laughs> and so so you, you mentioned you know, that Canada, for being such a big country, it actually is fairly well known for having high-quality seafood, um, mostly because of the attributes of, of the location and the geography of it. Can you get a little bit into kind of just overall kind of what is the general feel or vibe of Canada's seafood industry from an outsider and an insider's perspective, if that question makes sense? Yes. So you would expect Canada to have an important uh, fisheries sector because we do have the longest coastline in the world and we have three coasts. Uh, And we're also well known for the sustainability of our practices. So We're actually one of the leaders in the world. Um, The Marine Stewardship Council, which is the leading uh, certification system or standard for the wild capture side, we have, we we rank second in the world in terms of MSE uh, certifications. 61% of our landings are certified. And that compares to a global average of only 16. And uh, Canada is also very well uh, placed in terms of food safety systems. Uh, The sector has been leaders from the get-go in terms of um, responsible uh, production and in terms of food safety. And some of our early leadership uh, was really integrated and incorporated in some of our existing uh, regulations that we have now. That's that's a great overview. So one thing that we always like to go over in our Country Spotlight episodes is getting into a little bit more specifics on... Oh, that's kind of a pun. Specifics on the industry. So one of those things that I think is probably the number one question is what are the predominant species that Canada is known for in the seafood industry? Uh, Yes, those are good questions. Um, I think the first one that would probably come to mind for many people is lobster. Uh, Mm. So the specific uh, species name is American lobster, um, which we share with uh, the U.S. Um, but uh, that's our our most prominent, uh, I guess, species. It's our most valuable species. Um, it gets uh, exported around the world. But we have nearly 200 commercial species that uh, we harvest. Wow. And so just it in is, fisheries, just on the fishery just, side. Just on the fishery side. So that's very... You know, the industry is very diverse. Some of the other species, and we could make it a trivia game if you wanted to, but... Um, <laughs> Get your bingo cards on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the most, one of the biggest volume, but not necessarily uh, highest value, and, and it really gets underrated, is Pacific Hake. Mm-hmm. So that's a fish rate in BC um, in terms of volume. Another one that's fair size is herring, um, but it's the shellfish and crustaceans that uh, tend to get uh, the most name recognition or attention in the marketplace because they're the more valuable ones. So uh, lobster, snow crab, shrimp, and then if you get into the mollusks like uh, scallops uh, and clams and things like that. But, um, you know, we've got a lot of great tasting seafood that's produced uh, to a high quality and is sustainable. Have you noticed a change in any of those crustacean fisheries with the warming of the ocean has it increased given how f- much further north you are compared to say like the 
northeast coast of the United States. Yeah, they moved from Maine up to Canada. <laughs> well, I, I just was curious. I know that there's been some talk about how things have changed, yeah. right? Like it's not always a negative change. Like some species have left, but at the same point, new species have entered the waters, right? So I was just curious if you've noticed anything. Yes, certainly. Uh, we are seeing the impacts of climate change. And uh, that's one sort of policy area that I've worked on for over 20 years to varying mm -hmm. degrees. And when I first came to fisheries, that was one of the first questions I had for officials at uh, Fisheries and Oceans Canada. What are we doing on uh, adaptation? Because we, we know the ocean is going to be impacted uh, and we need to be ready to adapt mm -hmm. um, because the fish are not going to pay attention to dotted lines on a map that we draw <laughs> for management purposes. Right. Um, and so in the six years I've been with FCC, we've started to see more of those impacts. Um, so you mentioned lobster, uh, its distribution is migrating northward. So it hasn't necessarily left areas in, in the south, um, although some of the numbers I think are getting a, a little bit smaller. So, you know, maybe we're starting to see uh, that a bit more. Some species like colder water and that's why they're migrating north. But it, it really is much more fundamental than that because it's affecting the entire um, food chain. So uh, zooplankton is changing its uh, behavior and then that affects uh, forage species and other predators and all the way up to, you know, marine mammals such as whales. Right. And so the North Atlantic right whale, for example, uh, we've you know, both countries have experienced challenges in protecting them and, and trying to mitigate the entanglement risk or ship strike risk yeah. um, because they've changed their behavior patterns because they're following the food. And so right. they're coming into fishing uh, zones earlier in the year when we're still fishing. And so both countries are trying to adapt to that uh, with regulations and uh, innovations to change the gear that we use to reduce that entanglement risk, whether it be on-demand ropes, um, uh, a weak point, uh, low breaking strength uh, ropes, or other types of uh, alternatives. Yeah, I know so, there's been some it, sinking ropes out there too, hasn't there? Is that? Well, yeah, they're, they're, they're all come sort of like different names. Yeah. Um, and uh, so in terms of, you know, climate impacts, we've seen a few positive ones as well, where some fish species like the warmer water. And so, you know, in, in the years to come, we're going to still see some positive impacts, but then as the years turn into decades, uh, I think those impacts are largely going to turn negative and mm -hmm. intensify. And so we need to uh, be able to understand that as early as possible so that we can develop adaptation strategies and do it in a transparent way, too, so that all our uh, harvesters uh, are part of the discussions on how we adapt. And uh, so that, that's going to be a huge challenge going forward. But, I mean, we're always going to have blue food, so it's, it's certainly not going to disappear. It's just 
what species are going to be more abundant than others. Right. So I'm curious. I, it's kind of a two-part question. I guess the first part I would want to ask is, uh, I don't want to get too much into aquaculture stuff because that's not really the focus of this, but I do want to acknowledge that there is a good amount of aquaculture happening in Canada, especially Atlantic salmon that does distribute all over the world, right? So do you have any, I, I told you I don't want to get in, in, into numbers, but do you have any a rough idea of kind of like the ratio of the seafood that's coming out of Canada, or I guess just being produced and, and captured in Canada, kind of what percentage is farm-raised, what percentage is wild-caught, or is that not really um, as well-known? Uh, I guess it depends on you know what uh, species you look at and on whether you're looking at volume versus value. Right. Uh, value, I think the wild capture side is still uh, the dominant player, but volume, it's probably uh, more even. Okay. And uh, and it also depends on which market you're looking at. So uh, some wild products go uh, exclusively to certain countries, and then on the farm side, um, they may exclusively go to other countries. And then there's other species that goes everywhere. Um, but there's also the dynamic in the domestic market. Uh, so on the on the production side, the two sectors. Uh, really are fairly different because our production systems are so different. You know, wild capture, we're obviously going out in the ocean um, near shore or, or offshore to harvest uh, and find, you know, the, the fish where they are. Uh, whereas on the aquaculture side, it's either inland or near shore uh, and they get to plan, you know, as uh, their production volumes uh, whereas we're uh, kind of going with what Mother Nature uh, uh, provides for us on the market side, you know, once it's produced, it's fish and seafood. Uh, yes, some consumers prefer wild versus farmed or vice versa, but uh, many don't have a preference of either one, and or maybe it depends on species. Um, but so the domestic market, just to give you some rough overview. About a third of it is salmon, which would be uh, largely farmed Atlantic salmon. And wow. uh, whether that's, you know, domestically produced or imported, because uh, sometimes products, you know, the trade is two way. Uh, we export uh, farm salmon and then we import farm salmon. Then, and, and, you know, farm salmon dominates the marketplace because it's so plentiful. Uh, our our wild Pacific salmon stocks uh, are not as abundant as they used to, and so they're not as plentiful in the marketplace. The right. second product in the market is shrimp, and Canadians like the larger warm water shrimp, uh, whether it's farmed or wild. And so that could come from Argentina, Chile, Ecuador, um, other Asian countries, and uh, we prefer that they would choose the smaller uh, cold water northern shrimp. Tastes great, it's just not as big. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, we're working on that. Um, <laughs> and then the third uh, popular species is tuna. And we don't have a big uh, tuna fishery in, in Canada, so we, we can't supply the market. Is that, I don't want to lose track of my next question, but the tuna fishery, is that because of like regulation kind of stuff? Or is that just because there's not as much tuna up around your waters? What is the kind of the, the reason? What, what, what would you say is kind of the reason that there's just not a very big tuna fishery up there? The latter, they like more tropical waters. Okay. Yeah. 
All right. When I think of the tuna fishery, I think of like off Gloucester, like <laughs> what we have here in New England, you know? So well, I'm like, well, why is there not tuna, you know, fishing up there? Yeah. Like, so we do have some, it's just not as plentiful. Yeah. Mm. Right. So that, that was kind of my next, you kind of started to answer my next part of that question was about import exports. I'm, I, I'd like to look at, you know, how much is, is imported versus how much is exported which species tend to stay in country for the domestic market, which country, which species uh, do better being exported to other countries and just kind of like the overall logistics of all the different species that are coming in and out of the country, uh, kind of how that works. Well, as I said, you know, we have uh, roughly 200 uh, commercial species, so um, it would be very complex and we'd be here for days if we tried to cover it all. <laughs> get comfortable, uh, Justin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we'll, we'll we'll stick with the top ones. Uh, lobster, you know, a lot of that does go to the U.S. Um, and and some of it stays in Canada as well. But uh, we have significant exports of live lobster to China. Um, some of the prepared products would would be more diversely exported. But outside of you know the American lobster that we either harvest in Canada or comes from the U.S. part of the fishery. Um, Canadians don't really eat any other lobster. Like there's Norway lobster. There's hardly any uh, imports of that. Rock lobster from, say, Australia, uh, not so much. Um, spiny lobster, maybe from the Caribbean. Well, we tend to eat that when we're down there. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> so um, nothing is as good as American lobster, you know, in terms of lobsters species. I might be biased, but. Um, I, I, I think we are. We also, are I agree. Yeah, also yeah. We're also biased, but we totally agree. Okay. <laughs> but we're, uh, you know, we're, we're in Maine and New Hampshire. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and crab species. Uh, so we have snow crab, uh, which, uh, is, is largely a North American, um, delicacy. Uh, although some of it does go to other parts of the world as well. Um, we tend to compete quite a bit with Alaskan King crab, um, or Russian crab. Uh, but neither of those are plentiful in the marketplace right now. Um, Alaska king crab uh, abundance numbers have dropped significantly in the last right. couple of years. I don't know if it's going through some sort of cycle. Um, and then Russia uh, products are banned in many markets uh, because of the Ukraine war. Yep. And so snow crab uh, is doing... Uh, reasonably well. Uh, there were some other issues uh, in terms of market dynamics earlier in the in the season, uh, and and leftover inventory from last year, but it's it's recovered. Um, shrimp, uh, a lot of that goes to Asia. Some of it stays in Canada. Um, some of our white flesh uh, fish will stay in Canada, um, but I mean. We export 80% of what we harvest. The domestic market is half the size of our exports. So, you know, half of it has to go offshore anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then the domestic market is served 70% by imported product. Uh, again, when we think back to salmon and shrimp and tuna, well, if the top three represent, let's see, a third, a quarter, and another five to 10, um, you know, you're looking at, uh, 60, 65%. Well, there's 70% of it almost right there in three products. Um, so, uh, it is, you know, very dynamic, um, complex, uh, seafood is one of the most globally traded food commodities. 
not just in Canada, but uh, obviously in, in, in virtually all countries. Yeah. Yeah. So other than the range of the vast range of species that are present in the Canadian domestic seafood production and harvesting, what do you see like personally as something that really makes the Canadian seafood industry stand out from other countries? Like what's something that differentiates it in your view? Well, some unique products that we have uh, in, are in the clam species. So Arctic surf clam in in, uh, in Atlantic Canada and, and Eastern Arctic. Um, that is a delicacy in Asia. Uh, that's where it's most popular. And so a lot of it goes there. Um, there's not that many other places in the world that have our Arctic surf clam. Uh, mm. gooey duck on the BC coast is another unique species. Uh, and that too is a delicacy in Asia. So a lot of it goes there almost exclusively to China. I remember when I was in China, we went through a couple fish markets and there were gooey ducks everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. every stand had just giant tanks, like overflowing with gooey ducks. It's crazy. Yes. Yes. Crazy how popular it is over there. Yeah. Um, sea cucumber is another interesting uh, species that is not that popular in Canada. And, and I mean, in North America and particularly in Canada, we have a fairly cautious seafood culture. Uh, we don't eat a large variety of species and we tend to be conservative in, in how we eat them. Um, so we like it already filleted. We like the, the shells off uh, primarily. Uh, sometimes we get a little more adventurous in mm -hmm. restaurants um, where we're willing to sort of take it, break it off out of the, out of the shell type thing. And, uh, so that, those are some of the things that, that set us apart, I think. That's a great segue actually, because my, my question, Maddie was looking at the industry as a whole, the global industry, you know, there's a lot of different pockets and everybody kind of plays a specific role in the overall industry where in your mind, if you were to kind of just take a look at the whole picture, where does Canada sit? In within the entire global industry, like I, I know it's seems got, like it's, it exports a lot. It's so kind of a tough a question. Like when we spoke with um, when we when we did the episode about Scotland, I asked this question, and the answer was kind of like they focused on s smaller like number of species, but really really high quality product. Right, that that was kind of their niche. Was like Scottish seafood is known for this, and that's kind of what they felt that they were contributing to the overall industry. What what do you think Canada, what role does Canada play in contributing to the overall global industry? Yeah, for me, that's easy. It's, it's high quality, sustainable seafood. Uh, so together with the Aqu Canadian Aquaculture Industry Alliance, we have a, a joint vision that we developed as part of the policy discussion around a, a blue economy strategy. Um, and our joint vision is for Canada to be in the top three global uh, rankings for quality and sustainable practices. And so it's not the, being the largest. That mm -hmm. ship has sailed, pardon the pun. Um, <laughs> we want to be... Always intend your puns, Paul. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I did kind of intend that one. Um, <laughs> it, uh, so we just want to be the best, right? And um, as I said, we're already second in the world in terms of certifications, and we're also very well respected in terms of food safety and quality. So we need to keep working on that uh, to enhance that. And the growth that uh, we aspire to it, that comes with that is we think the benefits, we could double the value of the industry 
double the economic benefits to Canadians and largely coastal communities, and also double the domestic consumption of Canadian seafood. And uh, now the growth that we envision on the wild capture side is not through volume. Uh, you know, as I said, our our fish stocks are relatively stable and will remain that way um, for the most part. And so it's we're not going to grow by volume. Uh, the okay. aquaculture has that opportunity, but but we don't. So we need to create as much value as possible from what we harvest. Right. And so that's the the future I see for us. So you mentioned that the ultimate goal is to be in the top three for quality and sustainability and what the results of that would look like. And I'm curious what, if you could share, what the action steps are in order to position Canada to get there. Like what are the tactics that you're using industry-wide to help elevate Canada to those levels? Yes. So there's a, a number of things that we're working on. On the policy side, um, as I said, the joint vision uh, was developed to contribute and, and provide input into the development of a blue economy strategy that the federal government has been working on since, well, they first announced the idea or the concept in 2019. We developed our vision and submitted uh, a document uh, that fleshes that out a bit more uh, prior to them even starting formal consultations. And uh, so we'd like to see policy and programming that supports and facilitates our growth and achieving our aspirations. And so some of that might be to support innovation, uh, certainly a, a progressive regulatory system that identifies with us um, barriers to some innovations and gets them out of the way before they you know, they really slow us down um, and uh, things like that. The unfortunate part is that right now we don't have a policy environment that really supports or facilitates that growth. Uh, in some respects, it's actually pointing us in the opposite direction, unfortunately. Uh, you know, one of the most foundational underpinnings of sustainable fisheries management is data collection and analysis of your fish stocks. So Fisheries and Oceans Canada, as the regulator, um, they do most of the science, not all of it, industry contributes some, but they do most of it to do fish surveys um, and also do the stock assessments, which is the computer modeling um, of the data to figure out, okay, what are the trends uh, for the abundance of individual fish stocks? They've been having some gaps in that uh, over the last number of years, even pre-pandemic, but the pandemic made it worse. And so we'd like to see them close those gaps and um, prevent any further from happening. And, and these can have real implications for us because it means they might take ultra cautious decisions on um, total allowable catch or quotas mm -hmm. and where that's not substantiated by downward trend in a fish stock, then we're unnecessarily leaving uh, fish in the water and, and money in the water for coastal communities and, and, and Canadians. Um, so we really need to make sure we're doing our job and the government's doing its job on the science side to inform fisheries management decision-making. 
Another issue is marine conservation. Um, Canada and many other countries around the world have uh, very ambitious marine conservation targets. And we're concerned about the consultations that will be held to figure out how Canada achieves those targets and what are the implications for the fishery sector and individual fisheries where we harvest. And um, so we want to be part of that discussion to contribute to uh, solutions and achieving the targets in an effective manner that doesn't unduly restrict uh, the sector. Um, you know, we have to recognize that sustainable fisheries contributes to uh, biodiversity, not takes away from it. And most people just think, oh, uh, fishing is bad. Therefore, no, we have to protect the ocean. It's not as simple and black and white as that. Yeah, absolutely. And then the last one, because uh, I know this is getting a long answer. Um, oh, no, that's right. Time, yeah, take is, time. Is uh, indigenous reconciliation. So um, because you're you're in the U.S., you, you might hear some of it, but not all of the, the news around this particular issue. But, um, you know, Canada has not always uh, treated uh, indigenous peoples very well. Um, and so we have to attune for that. Uh, the government has a, a reconciliation agenda for all Canadians. And how it relates to fisheries is they want to increase Indigenous participation in the sector. And the challenge is that all our fisheries are fully allocated. So in order to give more to one person, they have to take away from someone else. And uh, so currently they're doing that in a way that does not compensate the incumbent license holder. And so that penalizes them, puts the burden solely on them as opposed to all Canadians. Hmm. And it penalizes investments that they've made and creates a disincentive for anyone else investing in other fisheries where they might be worried they're next. Hmm. And uh, so it's a very challenging um, issue. And I should also mention that FCC, we represent both non-Indigenous and Indigenous interests. We have Indigenous members, um, most of them up north, um, but not exclusively. And so we need to talk this through together and um, figure out fair ways of compensating the incumbent license holders and see if there's partnership opportunities uh, between the non-Indigenous and Indigenous interests oh that is super complicated just yeah. you said you had a yeah and a question i was just amazed <laughs> of how well paul answered that question and i, I want to know if you had a cheat sheet or you just had all of that <laughs> i can tell you brain. right now i'm looking at him and no he's he's not <laughs> oh you're <laughs> not cheating i, I do have notes i do have notes in front of me but i haven't looked at him because he i've talked stuff. about i talked about this stuff so many times um <laughs> it just comes off uh the tongue well my next question i know I think you mentioned this at the very beginning of the episode. What sort of collaborations are taking place between the FCC and the Aquaculture? I don't want to say foundation. I know that you gave it an acronym. I couldn't remember what it was at the beginning. Yeah. So as I said, um, you know, on the market side, that's the space where we can easily collaborate because mm -hmm. fish and seafood is fish and seafood. Um, so in 2019, we um, came together and, and, did some market research to find out why Canadians buy fish and seafood the way they do and why they don't buy more. And the interesting thing was that we learned that Canadians are not that familiar with uh, fish and seafood. 
they don't understand portion sizes. They don't necessarily know what to look for, how to buy it. They, they certainly don't feel confident in how to cook it. Um, now, during the pandemic, while they were stuck at home, uh, they experimented quite a bit and have become more comfortable and learned uh, a bit more on all those issues. So the original uh, barrier was uh, a perceived cost of the product, not just the absolute cost. And so we then took that information and with the support of the federal government and some of the provinces who also supported that market research, we developed a national marketing campaign to try and convince Canadians to buy and eat more Canadian seafood. Um, so the campaign is called Choose Canadian Seafood. The website is chooseseafood.ca. So I encourage everyone to visit the website. Our tagline is smarter meals out of the blue, which I think is, uh, Ooh, oh, that's good. Is, is I good. like yeah. that. Out of the blue is a phrase that really should be used a lot more in this industry. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's fantastic. Our, our marketing, um, agency that we're using is top right. Uh, they came up with it. They get all the credit. Um, <laughs> and, and, and the visuals that we use really accentuate the blue to differentiate ourselves from the other proteins. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, and, and so we've been running the campaign for uh, a little over a year now. And uh, we did some uh, renewed market research, very, you know, kind of, um, superficial to some degree, not yep. the full extent that we did initially, because we wanted to see if we've moved the yardsticks at all. And yep. even after only being in the market for four months, um, when seafood and, and the other proteins were trending down in the market, excuse me, our target audience of millennials, uh, actually increase their consumption. And uh, so for us, that was like great success because we were seeing tremendous engagement uh, with our digital ads, our social media and and everything like that. Like um, we had 39 million impressions in the first year and wow. uh, things like that. So the engagement was was great, but we were really interested in the tangible outcome in the marketplace. And that was reassuring as well. So um we're ramping up for a second year and uh, tweaking the website to enhance it. Um, we're coming up with more mouthwatering recipes. Uh, we just had our weekly call this morning. Uh, and it's it, in some ways, I hate the calls because I am so hungry for seafood after it. <laughs> and, you know. Uh, that happens to us all the time on this show. We'll do an episode and by the end, we'll just be like, I'm really hungry now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like our recipes, some of our recipes today uh, relate to sushi, fish sticks, um, deep fried uh, fish on a waffle with maple syrup. Whoa. And, and I don't know how Canadian you can get with that. I mean, maple syrup. <laughs> that truly <laughs> is epitome of yeah. Canadian. Um, and also lobster mac and cheese. Oh, okay. Ooh. And yeah. I mean, now, and, now and, you're doing it to us again. Yeah. Now. So, <laughs> so basically we need to go check out these recipes is what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, these are brand new recipes. They're not on the website yet, but there's some, uh, 15, I think already mouthwatering recipes on the website, um, that you can check out. And, uh, I'm convinced you'll be using, uh, many of them if you haven't already have 
your own versions of them. I think it's interesting that a lot of the trends and a lot of the things that you're trying to accomplish with those campaigns, I think the United States and us specifically are trying to do as well. I think maybe it's because of our close proximity. I mean, we share a border. Right. But I think during the pandemic, we also saw an increase of seafood consumption and people trying new things at home rather than, and all the same fears that you mentioned, right? Like whether they were true or not, like the price of seafood, I don't want to screw it up at home because it costs so much or they just, I'd rather go to a restaurant where I know that it's cooked right. I think all those things are really similar. Yeah. And, and people think that it takes a lot of time to cook seafood mm-hmm. and actually, no, it, it doesn't. I mean, the cook time is actually less. Uh, for many of the species. Um, And then the complexity of the recipe doesn't have to involve a lot of preparation. So, you know, with our campaign, you know, uh, there's three pillars that we really look to. And the first one is ease. Ease Mm -hmm. of, you know, preparation, cooking, uh, things like that. Because, well, during the pandemic, people had more time because they... Uh, we're doing stuff on the, you know, virtual, they, they weren't taking kids to outdoor activities cause they were all banned right. or at least in Canada anyway. Um, yeah. and stuff like that. Um, then it's, uh, healthy, right? So, and that's one thing that we've learned from the U S the seafood nutrition partnership. Um, that's what they focus on and, and they've really seen that that message resonates, uh, with Americans and, and it does so with Canadians. So that's another key plank uh, that we always highlight. And then the Canadian aspect. So we always uh, use Canadian species and uh, promote uh, you know, that they should buy Canadian. Right. So we're getting a little close to time, but really quick, I'd like to harken back to uh, a little bit earlier when you mentioned that Canada is, is kind of a leader in certifications and eco-label uh, representation, stuff like that. What are some of the major certifications that you see in, on a lot of the seafood that's coming from Canada? So in the wild capture sector, there's really only one uh, global certification, that's MSC. Uh, I know on the aquaculture side, there's more uh, different standards. And even on the wild side, there's some regional ones, but MSC is like the, the, the gold standard, uh, as, as many people say. Um, so all of our certifications are to MSC. And uh, there are there is a chain of custody component to that. So if the retailer... Um, or restaurant, uh, you know, pays to use the MSC logo, then, um, you know, the consumer sees that uh, right on the package. And, uh, but otherwise, if the retailer doesn't want to pay for the the logo, then they can still say it's certified, but you just don't see the MSC logo. And for some consumers, seeing the logo is important. For others, they... Uh, rely, I guess, on the the brand and the reputation of where they shop. So in our in Canada, we have five major retail um, chains. Um, so there's Loblaws, Sobeys, Metro, Walmart, and Costco. And all of them have responsible sourcing programs. Right. All of them require certifications, and they also have other requirements that go beyond the certification. And they don't necessarily, you know, tell people all the details. Uh, sometimes if you want, you can go to their website and find their policies. But so most people just rely on the, the confidence that they have in the brand where they shop uh, at those um, retail outlets. Gotcha. So you talked a little bit about some of the challenges 
that the industry in Canada is facing, which was one of my questions that I no longer need to ask. So thank you for that. <laughs> but then my other question is, what what do we see for the future? What are kind of some of the, the hopes for the, not just the fishery, just kind of the seafood industry as a whole, which again, you just kind of mentioned a little bit of, but what changes do you anticipate coming down the line in the near and distant future for the Canadian industry? Well, for the Canadian industry, because I think we already have a uh, very high level performance and good reputation. We need to continue to strive for continuous improvement and and promote those credentials. Uh, so that's pretty easy. Um, but globally, we are going to see more pressures because of climate change. And, you know, we're going to see that in Canada as well as we, we talked about earlier. Um, but I think there's going to be increasing pressure on uh, IUU fishing, so illegal, unre- unreported, and unregulated, and other unsustainable practices and other abuses that sometimes come with all of that. I, I think there's going to be a increasing pressure on those hotspots in in the the global sector, and that will have to be addressed. and And part of that comes from you know the conservation movement uh, on biodiversity. Uh, some of it will be from uh, you know trying to mitigate and adapt to climate change. Um, but the complexities of some of those issues are also s- relate to the fact that some jurisdictions don't have the resources to introduce or enforce responsible uh, fisheries management you know frameworks or regulations. So it'll it'll be, in the absence of that, it'll be up to the market to apply pressure to to deal with some of those issues, um, and uh, so that will be a continuous struggle. Um, blue foods, I hope, will always be uh, seen for their benefits. That uh, and you know we we don't always see that uh, in Canada in terms of some of the policy discussions that food from the ocean is low carbon and we don't use a whole lot of water because it's in water, right? So on land protein production is carbon intensive. It does use a lot of water. It's monoculture. Um, and so we don't have those issues certainly on the wild capture side. And so if there's efforts to restrict our wild capture harvesting, and the production of healthy blue food, um, what is the world going to eat instead? Is it going to be more land-based proteins? Um, That could actually increase the carbon intensity of our food systems. So some of these issues that we're dealing with come at trade-offs against other issues that we don't want to worsen. Um, And not everybody sees that. So uh, we need to have a, a pretty open conversation of how we deal with those issues and uh it's going to get complicated even more so i think uh in the future right well we're just about running up to time this flew by yeah (laughs) wow but paul uh as i mentioned before i I, i'd like to have the fcc on again uh, as we get closer to seafood month to have another more specific conversation but is there anything like what's the the last message that you want to send out about canadian seafood Uh, to our listener base of people all over the world? Well, there's three messages. I had a previous boss that always liked things in three. 
so one is I have to put a plug in for our annual conference the first week of October, which actually conflicts, unfortunately, with your Responsible Seafood Summit in New Brunswick. Um, I wish I could clone myself so I could be in two places at once. <laughs> um, and so uh, our conference is in Ottawa. Um, and encourage everyone to look on our website for details. We've got a great speaker program, great seafood, obviously, uh, that we're going to be uh, offering people. Um, so they should come and uh, be with us for that. The other thing that I'd like to talk more about next time we get together is we're putting together an innovation storyboard to celebrate some of the achievements and successes that the industry has had in you know, new vessel um design and, and operations, precision harvesting, automated processing, um, efforts to reduce plastic packaging, um, efforts to increase utilization, reduce waste, all those things. Um, we're going to be re re releasing our storyboard uh, at our conference. And so um, I think there'd be lots of uh, anecdotal stories that uh, I can give uh, next time. And um, another plug for the, the chooseseafood.ca, smarter meals out of the blue. Fantastic. Well, this is awesome. I'm, I always love getting the different perspectives on from all these different countries on kind of how the industry works, because it is so different in every country. And you guys are so close to us, too, but it's even it's different from the U.S. industry as well. So thank you um, so much, Paul, for coming on and talking about this with us. What is the best way for people to get in contact with you if they have any further questions or want more information? Really through our website and uh, our contact information is on the website as well. Fantastic. So we'll, fisheriescouncil.ca. We'll have a link to that right in the show notes so people can go grab it right from this episode. So Justin, Maddie, you guys have anything else? I just want to thank you, Paul. This was an incredible episode. I feel a lot more informed about Canada where we will be traveling in a few months. So thank yeah. you so much for taking the time to sit down yeah, with us. Likewise. Thank you very much, Paul. My pleasure. Thanks very much. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you. Folks, that was our conversation with Paul Landsbergen from the FCC. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you learned something and I hope you're excited to come to one of these events that's happening in Canada in the first week of October. The link to register for our event, the Responsible Seafood Summit, is in the show notes, so make sure you go take care of that as soon as you can. If you're not subscribed to Aquademia yet, please remember to hit that subscribe button wherever you listen. That way, every time a new episode comes out, it'll be automatically downloaded directly to your device. And we are on Twitter at Aquademia. Pod. Go ahead and find us and follow us. If you want to contact the podcast for any reason, you can fill out our online form located at globalseafood.org slash podcast. And as always, if you liked this episode, let us know through ratings and reviews on your podcast app. If you like what we do and you want to be more involved in the work that happens here at the Global Seafood Alliance, you may want to consider becoming a member. All of the information about our membership program can be found at globalseafood.org slash membership. Thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you next time. Ciao. Bye.